Chapter Nine of the Friendly Terrace Quartet, or Peggy Raymond at the Poplars by Harriet Lemmis Smith. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Nine, as one sows. The mistress of Beechwood had outdone herself. The grounds were a fairyland. Chinese lanterns hung on every shrub and tree, and the whole place was a blaze of light. The moon arriving on schedule time apparently prepared to do her full duty, seemed to take offence at the discovery that her services were not required, for she retired temporarily behind a cloud. Then, finding that no one paid any attention to her sulking, she presently reappeared, smiling as brightly as ever. The platform which was to serve as a stage was even more brilliantly lighted than the grounds, for electric wires had been run from the house to provide the necessary illumination. High up, against the dark background of the leaves blazed a red cross the world-wide symbol of help and mercy and at the front edge of the platform lights with reflectors behind them flung their beams upon the improvised stage and the american flags draped back of it the garage had been turned over to the girls for a dressing-room and there the usual excitement prevailed even though the costumes with a few exceptions were what they wore every day Mag Whipple, with a gray beard and top boots, was, indeed, changed beyond recognition and looked her role to the life. Two or three other character parts were quaint and queer, but in general the girls were their everyday selves, except for the extra roses in their cheeks, which the conventions demanded. "'Oh, girls, we're going to have a wonderful crowd,' declared Amy, peering from the window of the garage. "'The people are coming in flocks, and at a dollar per, too. Look, Priscilla!' The leader of the orchestra, which consisted of two violins and a piano, did not reply. Priscilla felt the responsibilities of her position keenly. "'If anybody else makes a slip,' she told Peggy, "'it will be easy enough to cover it up. But if the orchestra breaks down, everybody'll know it.' Amy, looking over her shoulder at her unresponsive friend, noted the anxious wrinkle between Priscilla's brows and forgave her absorption but her discoveries from the garage window were too exciting to keep to herself. In a moment she had burst out again. "'Peggy, you remember that farm where it began to rain almost as soon as we started work, and we had such a jolly time in the barn? Well, the whole family is here—father, mother, grandmother, little brother, little sister?' No response from Peggy. Amy, turning an inquiring gaze, discovered her arranging the curls of the extremely pretty farmerette to whom had been assigned the role of an ex-society butterfly. As Peggy seemed quite unaware that she had been addressed, Amy gave up the attempt to be social and devoted herself to seeing all there was to be seen. Once, however, she came very near breaking her unspoken resolution. Young girls from the neighborhood, looking very charming in their white frocks, were acting as ushers and one of them showed to seats conveniently near the garage a tall fellow in uniform accompanied by a slender attractive girl at the sight of the two amy started violently and turned about her lips parted as if about to give vent to a vehement ejaculation but she must have changed her mind for she said nothing though her eyes dwelt with seeming amusement on peggy hurrying from group to group giving directions and fairly radiating confidence Apart from Amy's prejudice, the audience was an interesting one. A considerable proportion was made up from the wealthy households occupying summer homes in the vicinity. Mrs. Fitzmorris herself had a house-party, and her guests were easily distinguished by their costumes, rather over-elaborate for the occasion. 
the farms in the vicinity were well represented for there were few where some of the girls had not worked at one time or another and their employers were interested to see them in the role of entertainers and not a few friends and relatives of the amateur actors had come from the city or some nearby town to help make the undertaking the success it bade fair to be it's time to begin priscilla exclaimed nervously consulting her wrist-watch shall we go out marian not while the audience is coming in at this rate marian keith said decidedly it's queer how people will come so late to a show they've paid money to see and wouldn't miss for anything probably a good many will come after we've started but we won't start while we're still flocking in at the rate the audience were arriving however it was clear that the opening would not be long delayed priscilla drew her bow across the strings of her violin and tightened them nervously peggy who was to stand back of the drapery of flags and act as prompter ran over her sheets of paper to be sure that not a page was missing amy was the only one of the friendly terrace girls who was to appear on the stage and her part had been added as an afterthought because as the girls agreed she was so cunning that it would not be fair to deprive the audience of the pleasure of seeing her amy did not know one tune from another and naturally her few lines were spoken instead of being sung as her chief duty consisted in carrying water to the warm and thirsty farmerettes the responsibility was not enough to make her nervous there was a lull in the arrivals most of the chairs were filled the orchestra took its place in front of the stage and was welcomed with applause the usual ordeal of tuning the instruments followed and then the girls struck up the march which was the signal for the opening of the performance the stars and stripes forever the opening course was the song peggy had written without any dream that the little snowball would presently grow to such impressive proportions oh the days are long and dreary and the sun is hot and high the girls sang the lines with spirit and then at the kindly insistence of the audience sang them over again indeed from the very start it was evident that the audacious undertaking was to be a tremendous success it hardly need be said that from a professional standpoint the performance was hopelessly ragged but contradictory as it may seem that was in its favor there was something delightfully spontaneous about it the girls had not had time to get tired of their parts they entered into the spirit of the thing with a frank enjoyment that was contagious and moreover almost without exception the audience was in a mood to be generous toward the efforts of the plucky girls whose peculiar costumes had not been assumed for a frolic but were typical of a loyal and brave response to the needs of the hour every song whether chorus or solo was enthusiastically encored and peggy who had sometimes been a little fearful that the program would not be long enough to make the audience feel it had received its dollar's worth sighed with relief as she realized that they could not possibly finish before half-past ten as the program moved along without any serious hitches peggy realized with astonishment that mag whipple was making a hit peggy had never been fully persuaded of the wisdom of entrusting mag with the important role of the farmer and as a concession to her sense of uneasiness she had given mag as much coaching as was possible in the very limited time at her disposal always insisting on the importance of being perfectly natural and mag had surprised her by doing that very thing her gruff voice and domineering manner were so typical of the real girl that peggy found herself laughing every time she spoke a line the audience laughed too though for another reason and mag's supposedly skilful enactment of a rather difficult role called out many an approving burst of applause mag indeed shared the honors with mina eichenberger 
whose patriotic outburst when she found her comrades losing heart was three times encored the play had been divided into two acts in order to give the hard-working singers a breathing spell and peggy was improving the brief intermission to look the audience over from behind the screening flags when she uttered a little gasping cry amy who had crept in beside her to offer congratulations strangled a chuckle as she inquired casually what's the matter peg amy look quick there's a girl and a young man sitting no not there over toward the garage there's any number of girls and young men replied amy teasingly is there anything particular about these two why yes he's in uniform oh i see them now what about them it doesn't seem as if i could be mistaken exclaimed peggy so dolefully that amy's conscience gave an uneasy twinge of course they're not very near but don't they look like people you know why yes they're graham and ruth amy lassell you wretch i saw them come in explained amy accepting the tribute calmly i started to tell you but you seemed so taken up with your old show that i thought i wouldn't bother you you're a wretch repeated peggy with even more conviction than before oh amy isn't he big in his uniform gorgeous replied amy no wonder ruth looks eaten up with pride the dear said peggy very tenderly oh how glad i shall be when this boring old show is over boring indeed don't put on airs miss authoress you know you're tickled to death the way the audience is taking this and it is a good show though i say it as shouldn't seeing i'm one of the stars the bell tinkled a signal the orchestra resumed its place the musicians wearing expansive smiles since half the program had been finished without a breakdown the farmerettes marched out from the garage and they too showed an appreciable accession of confidence since their earlier appearance it was well that they had gained in assurance and that slips were less frequent than in the first act for if the truth be told the attention of the prompter was continually wandering she had said that graham looked big in his uniform but had failed to add a fact that impressed her with equal force that he looked extraordinarily handsome the second act which seemed to peggy to drag intolerably though no one else apparently shared her impression ended at last in a blaze of glory mina came forward and sang the star-spangled banner while the audience rose to its feet it broke into cheers when the song ended and then there was a forward rush proud fathers and mothers seized smiling girls in overalls and hugged them before everybody the families of the neighboring farmers who felt a sort of proprietary interest in the play and the actors pressed forward to offer their congratulations mrs fitzmorris and her friends were much in evidence uttering the exaggerated compliments people make on such occasions and finding willing listeners marian keith pounced on peggy and pulled her up on the stage peggy raymond you stop hiding away and acting as if you didn't have a thing to do with this they're asking who wrote the thing but i didn't really peggy protested you know everybody had a hand in the songs she had an eye on a tall young man in uniform who seemed to be holding back inexplicably she wished graham were not so modest a youth with a notebook claimed her attention i understand you are the author of the libretto miss raymond i represent the clarion will you give me a few interesting facts about yourself i'm afraid there aren't any that will interest the public said peggy i'm a college girl the most of the year and a farmerette the rest of the time how about your prima donna what is her name you mean hesitated peggy why the girl who sang the star-spangled banner is she a college girl too 
I'll call her, and she'll tell you what she cares to have printed. Peggy summoned the girl who had made the hit of the evening, and the reporter repeated his question. Edith Brenton, she replied, as he asked her name. Where's your home, please? Winston. Is that in this state? Yes, it's in the western part. It's only a little place. Peggy heard no more of the conversation, and indeed forgot all about the reporter. For Graham, Wiley, and Ruth had succeeded in forcing their way through the crowd. The two girls threw their arms about each other, but over Ruth's shoulder, Peggy's glad eyes met Graham's, and before she had addressed a word to him, that observing young man felt very well satisfied with his welcome. Something new was taking place. A number of Mrs. Fitzmorris's friends now appeared in the costumes of Red Cross nurses, selling candy for the benefit of the fund. Tables for serving ice cream were placed here and there. People began to stroll about the brilliantly lighted grounds as if the evening were just beginning. Peggy found herself walking away with Graham, while Amy and Ruth followed close behind. "'Why didn't you write me that you were coming?' she tried to speak reproachfully, but it was hard work when she was so happy. "'Ruth thought it would be fun to surprise you. And besides, I wasn't sure I could get leave till the last minute. "'Are you going back on the midnight train?' "'Yes, tomorrow night.' "'Tomorrow?' Peggy's intonation made the exclamation extremely flattering. Ruth and I have fixed it up to stay overnight with some people we know in the village, and we'll be out reasonably early if you won't be too tired to see us. Peggy's smile seemed to imply disbelief in the possibility of feeling tired. You look so wonderful in your uniform, she exclaimed irrelevantly. And you in yours. Peggy, you don't know how proud I am of you. Oh, well, murmured Peggy, if it comes to that. She did not finish her sentence. Tell me about your life in camp, Graham all the little things that you don't have time to write. She had not noticed particularly the direction in which they were walking. The two had followed the crowd without looking anywhere except at each other. But before Graham had time to comply with her request, a girlish voice attracted the attention of both. "'Oh, look!' it said. "'Look! Look!' The looks came like a series of explosions, each a little more vehement than its predecessor. Peggy turned abruptly. A pretty girl in a shimmering evening gown, one of Mrs. Fitzmorris's house-guests, judging from her appearance, had dropped the arm of her escort and was pointing dramatically before her. Peggy's head reeled. In glaring letters of feathery green she saw on the soil one unexplained but suggestive word. Slacker. For the moment Peggy forgot even Graham. She sprang to the side of the girl who had made the discovery. "'Let's pull them up,' she gasped, "'or trample on them so no one else can read it. It won't take but a minute.' The other girl wheeled about. "'But how did it come there?' she cried. "'How did it happen? Why, it's the most shivery thing that I ever heard of. It's like—isn't there something in the Bible about handwriting on the wall?' Peggy made no attempt to enlighten her. "'We must be quick,' she urged, "'before anybody else notices.' She stooped to put her suggestion into effect, but as she touched the feathery green, a horror-stricken gasp from the girl beside her made her straighten quickly. Bobby Fitzmorris stood just behind her, staring at the voiceless accusation which challenged him from the soil of his own garden. He looked past Peggy and the girl in the evening dress as if he had never seen either until that moment, and his face expressed all the amazement of which the human countenance is capable. Peggy had no idea how long they stood there, all three incapable of motion or speech. Young Mr. Fitzmorris was the first to recover himself. With a galvanic jerk he turned away and went on. 
Peggy and the other girl looked at each other. Oh, exclaimed the latter, and drew a long breath. I'd hate to be in his shoes, but who could have done it? Peggy guessed the question was merely a rhetorical one, and the speaker had no idea she was addressing one of the very few people in the world who could have given her information on that point. With a common impulse, the two girls turned their attention to the carrots, and their escorts came to their assistance. In less time than it takes to tell it, the crescent-shaped flower-bed was empty, except for a little pile of wilting plants over in one corner. End of chapter 9